you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Kaleo, good to see you all. I'm glad to be here with you. Um, again, maybe just this will be the last time I guess I do this as like a mini update. Uh, I, I was on a, a sabbatical for a couple months, and so this is my, my first time preaching back. Um, they, Chase and Aaron kindly let me speak a little bit last week to kind of like remember what that was like. But this is, this is the first sermon um, back from all of that, which is fitting because there's something really meaningful about returning my own self. Um, into the Kaleo family and being with all of you. But there's also something else that we're doing today that we've already talked a lot about. But it's, the, it's this day in the life of Kaleo where we turn to a practice of Jesus that we, we have sought to define us from the outset of who we are. From the, from the moment that Kaleo began in November of 2018, I guess technically before that on some level, but when Chase and I joined up to, to figure out what we were doing, it was eating meals uh, together that defined us. And so like many of the things in the last year and a half, this practice of eating together uh, had, had been taken from us. And, and we tried to hold the tension of, of longing for that table again, of, of holding in tension what was happening in the world around us. But part of us knew that we, we really couldn't be Kaleo until we could get to the table that Jesus hosts for again. So today, we return to the practice of eating at that table. Today, we celebrate the blood Jesus shed for us and the body Jesus gave for us. Today, we remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus embodied in the bread and wine, or in our case, tortillas and wine. Today, we give thanks as we go to the table together for in and through Jesus, we are redeemed and we follow our resurrected Savior in his most committed practice to the table where we eat together. And it's here at the table that I believe is one of the greatest pictures that reminds us, one, that we are loved and that we need each other. There at that table we meet Jesus, not only because we remember who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus continues to do, but we also look around at other people face to face and share a conversation and remind ourselves, we need this. We need this. And if there's anything coming to, I guess, semi-close of a year and a half pandemic, or hopefully the semi-close of that, it's that we are reminded of the depth of that need. And so before we wade into the, the heart of why we as the Kaleo family eat together, I just want to say this part. Right, when it comes to the table of the Lord, my favorite way to talk about that is this. Your name is on the guest list. You are invited always to dine at the table where Jesus is the host. His invitation to you to meet him there never, ever ceases. There is not one thing you could do for him to cancel that invitation. And if we choose to receive the invitation, I believe it's there then that we find this unique embrace of God. And he loves us as we are, no strings attached. The glasses still clink, the tacos still go down. And there we're reminded that it actually brings Jesus' joy to welcome us to that table. And we'll meet Jesus not only in the remembrance and the food, but in one another as well. 
You could call it a heavenly celebration. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again, you are already here with us. And so we just welcome you. We welcome you. We receive what you've already been sharing with us through our praying and our singing and our remembrance and our giving and our celebrating. And God, I ask that our lives would just open up even a crack today to receive from you your love and how that love might transform us and send us into the world embodiments of that love. God, I pray that you'd give me your words to speak this evening. I pray that I wouldn't say too many of them. And I pray that whatever it is I say would be from you and for you and everything else we might forget. To you be the glory, God. We love you. We need you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So as we follow Jesus and invite his spirit to serve as our guide and power to become the people of the church, he invites us to be, I often ask myself in light of Kaleo, like what, what did I see Jesus doing? When I just do a quick run through the gospels, my head, you could read them and see what Jesus is doing too, but like you just imagine what you saw Jesus doing. What was he up to? If we're going to practice the ways of Jesus together, then I guess we better figure out what Jesus was up to. What was he doing? What did he do? And why did he do it? And I just want you to imagine Jesus' life for a moment. Like let it stir in your imagination and start to see Jesus going to the table. Maybe it's at a wedding feast. Maybe it's with a bunch of poor people. Maybe it's at some rich guy's house. Maybe it's a home or maybe it's a designated room. Maybe it's the very last meal Jesus ate with his followers. Maybe it's resurrected Jesus having breakfast on the beach or chasing down two guys walking the other way. And just think of the way that Jesus shared food created space, loved people in those moments. Jesus was the king of welcome, right? the, the, the most hospitable human that ever lived. And I believe Jesus knew something about the hearts of humanity and the way he practiced his eating. As Richard Beck reminds us, he says, hearts require spiritual formation through habits and practices that directly address the social and psychological dynamics at work that keep us from seeing and welcoming each other. We have to practice these things to become the people that God invites us to be. So how do we live this way of Jesus? Right, because we can already get to the place of agreement where Jesus has come to save us and set us free and circle us with our love and heal us and send us into the world. So how do we live this way? Before we answer this, I want us to reflect on this. What is the very first thing you think when you arrive at a gathering? Whether you've been invited specifically or not, just think of any gathering. 
and reflect for a moment. What is the very first thing you think when you arrive? My experience and research tells me it's this. We ask, are my friends here? Are my friends here? Now, this is the question, if we'll allow ourselves to recognize it, that each of us asks in some way, in some form, whether automatically or unconsciously, when we had arrive at a gathering of people. And if we're going to be real honest, which is another practice of Jesus, by the way, then it's probably the question on our minds when we walk into a church gathering as well. In light of this question, Beck claims this. He says it's the number one problem with extending hospitality, the number one reason why we don't expend hospitality the way Jesus did. Interesting, right? Because there's something about us that wants to still know Hold on, can I ask that question? Are my friends here? There's tension to it, though. So it seems fitting to me that as that tension lingers for the moment, that we take a peek at what someone who followed Jesus from table to table, practiced this table life, even following Jesus' ascension, had to say and do. So we take the tension from the question, are my friends here? Allow me to guide us through the story that transpires in Acts 10. In 11. Here we're going to meet Peter. Peter following the precedent set by following Jesus. And so just a quick recap of Acts 10. Peter's on the roof of the house he's staying at and he's praying. It's around noon and it even says that Peter was hungry. We cannot get away from food if we keep reading the Bible. And while he's praying, he receives this confusing vision from God about what he can and cannot eat. He keeps seeing this vision three times, and at the conclusion of the vision, he's quite confused. At that time, there's a knock on the door, and there's this guy named Cornelius who sent some men to town to call on Peter. And at the moment that they show up, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, go with these men. He still doesn't know what the vision meant, but he's going to go with these men that Cornelius sent. So he goes and answers the door and assures everybody they're here for him. And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm in. So they take the, the couple-day journey back to Cornelius' home. The thing that's interesting, though, at this point in the story is that Peter has now said he's going to the home of Cornelius. Which maybe doesn't mean anything to you if you don't know that Peter has never in his life up to this point entered the home of a Gentile. Somebody not like him. That was not what his people did. And yet, Peter willingly breaks a boundary and he goes into the home of Cornelius where he meets his Gentile family and friends who've gathered in the room. And he starts to tell them about Jesus. Peter's not so, totally sure why he's there. So the only thing he knows to do is to talk about Jesus. And he's like, here's what Jesus is up to. And in the middle of Peter telling Cornelius and his 30 friends and family who are there, 
the Holy Spirit falls on them just like it fell on the original followers of Jesus at Pentecost. They call it the Gentile Pentecost. Interrupts his sermon and the Spirit is present and it's undeniable that God is in the room. And after this happens, Peter and the six friends who accompanied him are invited to stay for a few days. And so they do. They stay for a few days, but that's not the end of the story. From Acts 11, verses 1 through 3, it reads like this. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. Eating together has a scandalous reputation. I can't believe they did that. And if we're to make room for others who are not like us, then we have to do things that intentionally break patterns. There were patterns that were set up in the life of the Jewish Christians. And Peter had to be the first one to intentionally break the pattern. The Jewish believers named out loud what many of us only know in the shadows. We usually eat with people similar to ourselves. And when we are from different cultures and backgrounds and experiences and ethnicities, the intimacy of a shared meal can forge relationships which cross significant social boundaries. People who never otherwise would have ended up together might end up at a table when Jesus is the host because the invitation went out to everybody. Because eating is something every single person must do. Mealtime has this profoundly egalitarian dimension. This is why we'll say things like everyone has a seat at the table. It's because Jesus hosts the table and not us. And it sure looks like we're all equal for one moment as we eat together. A breaking in of equality. So what is it in the heart of Peter that enables him to break boundaries by breaking bread? What is that? Peter accepts the invitation to stay and eat because he has already known the power of a boundary-breaking meal. This is the same Peter, transformed Peter, whose love-starved core was restored by Jesus during breakfast on a beach. This is the Peter who thought it was all over after he denied Jesus, who watched Jesus die, who even saw the resurrected Jesus and was like, I'm still going to just be a fisherman. This Peter had experienced firsthand a meal that changes everything. Peter was formed by the practice. So where does this formation begin? I want to argue it begins within. I'm going to name that more specifically. But first, I want to share an imagined anecdote. 
All right, so imagine you have a friend. For some of us, no, I'm kidding, you have a friend. Everybody does, right here, right now. So imagine that one friend, and they just became a server at a restaurant. And you and a few people are really excited for them. They just got a job. It's at, it's at a cool new place, downtown Phoenix. You're like, yeah, let's go check it out, see our friend. You show up at the restaurant. Your friend's there serving the meal, and you get seated, and you're looking around for them, and they come over towards you. But as they come towards you, you notice something on their face. Something is different. They're completely and utterly stressed out. Things are going crazy at the restaurant. They're just trying to keep their head on straight. And what do you say to your friend? Hey, 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 don't worry about us. We'll be fine. Take your time, get, get, us, get us our drink, get us our food, whenever. Like, we're, we're here for you, right? Well, okay. How about the next day you go to a different restaurant? You and a group of friends, you're there, set you down. Nobody shows up at the table. You're like, come on. Hey, can we get some service? Just at least some waters, right? Person comes over, same expression, just exhausted, right? Like you can tell things are going crazy. You're like, when, are, when is somebody going to take our order? Can we get our food? And we moan about it the whole night, and then we don't leave a tip. And we peace out, and we're like, I'm never going back to that place. So let me just leave you with that for a moment because you're not a bad person when you show up at a place. And the first thing you do is look for your friends. And that's who you want to support. It's normal and natural. But the other thing that Richard Beck says is this. He says, hospitality is often described as making room, creating a space of welcome and embrace to receive the God who comes to us in strangers. But before hospitality can make space in the world or around your table, it has to begin closer to home with an inward emotional revolution. Hospitality begins as an affectional capacity, cultivating the ability to make room in our hearts for others. The best way to get closer to God according to Jesus is to mend our relationships with one another. And so the table forces us to ask questions like, do our inner lives contain the willingness to embrace someone who is other or strange or unknown to us? Does that willingness exist within us? And whether it does or not, I would argue there really is one way to cultivate such a transformation. We have to practice our way slowly and over time into a wider circle of affections. Ethicist Peter Singer calls our tendency to restrict our openness the moral circle. We all have this moral circle, and he says this moral circle highlights our natural tendency to restrict our kindness to the few rather than to the many, limiting our ability to see or notice the stranger, let alone welcome him or her. And so here's the deal about the server at the restaurant, the one you didn't know. That server is somebody's friend. 
They are somebody's sibling, somebody's child, somebody's parent, somebody's spouse. The server is inside someone's moral circle. Somebody loves them, just not us. And this is why looking for our friends is the number one problem we face in extending hospitality to strangers. It restricts our openness to let others in. And at the core of all of this then, hospitality is expanding the moral circle to make room in our hearts for each other. So what happens after Peter and his six friends are criticized for eating with the ethnically other brand new Christians? Here's what happens in Acts 11. Peter offers his rebuttal standing before all the Jewish Christians, pointing at the seven of them. You even ate with them. And he tells his Christian sisters and brothers exactly what had happened from the moment of his vision from God on the rooftop to Cornelius sending his men to the Holy Spirit, telling him to go and not worry that they were Gentiles. He reminds them that he was accompanied by friends and that they entered the home of Cornelius where about 30 or so people were gathered. Peter even reminds them that an angel appeared to Cornelius, the Gentile. And then he gets to the meat. Acts 11, 15 through 18 reads like this. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. Catch that for a second. They caught the vision. Their affections changed. Their hearts moved. They were transformed in some way. And they stopped objecting. They stopped criticizing. And they began praising God, not Peter. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Their willingness to embrace was expanding in real time, and we watch it happen. Will ours expand in real time? Will we be the Jesus people who humbly seek the presence of God, who commit to being formed as the family of God, who relentlessly join the mission of God? So much so that our entire selves are expanded to invite in any single person God might put in our path. If we follow the lead of Jesus and of the church in Acts, I believe we're going to continue to encounter a God who surprises us. Because if we're that willingness to join Jesus at those tables, we'll always be surprised at who shows up. And who becomes our friend. Richard Beck makes this final plea to all of us by saying this. Hospitality, or eating together, is exactly how we'll overcome our present day divisions. We care for and break bread with those we ignore and exclude. 
but it starts with our hearts, the tearing down of the emotional walls that keep us from seeing God in the stranger. Hospitality begins with widening the circle of our affections, like treating that server as a brother, sister, and friend. And none of these ideas come from anybody but Jesus, right? This is what Jesus was up to even in John 13 when he says, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our affection is the source of our action. But this also doesn't mean that we can't simultaneously practice our way into loving. They get to happen together, both and. Because if you're like, I don't know how to love anybody who's not like me, then what Kaleo says is meet us at the table. Start there. He keeps showing up at the table. The love will follow. This is the vision. Jesus eats his way through the Gospels and the church's spirit births, shares this table in remembrance over and over. That's what we hear. They ate together, they ate together, they ate together, they ate together, they ate together. And we embody this when we practice this intentional hospitality toward one another around the table. And I, I assure you, you too will likely hear if you commit to such a practice as this. You even ate with them, but it will be proof to the world that we are disciples of Jesus. Historically among Christians, the meal, it combined the ordinary with the sacred. And it challenged conventional relationships with heavenly expectations. It was a dream of what was to come. So it is when we eat together for a brief moment, we are enacting with anticipation the heavenly banquet to come. This is what the prophet Isaiah was talking about. In Isaiah 25, he says, On the mountain, the Lord will spread a wonderful feast for all of the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat, asada, pastor, pollo. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all our tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. Isaiah knew what was up. And so when we gather and eat together, what do we do? But we glimpse for a moment the kingdom of God coming now. And we glimpse for a moment the banquet that is to come. And now we get to go practice, in just a moment, the ritual of sharing the meal together. When our hearts will stir, and our stomachs will be settled. And we will look at one another, and we will remember that Jesus invited every single one of us to the table to remember him. As the band comes up, I want you just, just for a moment to imagine yourself eating with Jesus. Go anywhere you want for this meal. Pick any place you could eat with Jesus. 
pull up your chair. Watch him pull up his chair. And just take a look at Jesus across the table from you. And as you catch his eyes, would you see the eyes of one who loves you as you are right now? No strings attached. Would you let this look from Jesus stir in any corner of your love-starved soul and feel the warmth of that love of Jesus begin to fill you up. As you keep looking at Jesus, would you just hear him say to you, I am so glad you're here. Your name was on the guest list. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.